0: Welcome to this special study on the listener's commentary. We are in the midst of looking at Romans chapter 7, but in that context, Paul uses the language flesh and spirit. And so I want to just take a few minutes and clarify a few things about how Paul uses those words, because he doesn't often use them the way that sometimes we think he does at sort of a popular Kind of Christian level reading of these words. We got to think a little bit clearly here about what he means. And that's motivated by what we noticed in our last session on Romans 7, 1 through 6, where Paul says, while we were in the flesh, past tense. It's like, well, what do you mean by that, Paul? I still have a body. I still have flesh. What do you mean by flesh? So we need to figure out what he means by flesh. And then he says that when when that was the case, we bore fruit for death, but now we've been released from all that and we're in the spirit and we can bear fruit for God. And so we need to figure out what does Paul mean by flesh? What does he mean by spirit? So that we can really hear what Paul says in the rest of chapter 7, and on into chapter 8, okay? So let's just take a few minutes and look at what Paul is getting at here. And if you want to know even more on this, I have another special study on flesh and spirit in Paul's letters in the Galatians commentary in this series. And so I'm not going to repeat everything I said there. I'm going to focus more on what Paul is doing here in Romans, And kind of generally how the language works here. All right. So the first thing to note is that uh, verse five, when he says, while we were in the flesh, I think that's one of the places that makes clear that by the term flesh, Paul doesn't mean like a separate part of our nature that we still possess after becoming a Christian because he uses it in past tense while we were, when we were, past tense, in the flesh which means we're not anymore, right? That was something that used to be true about people outside of Christ, but now that you're in Christ, that's not true. And so that's personally why I don't like the uh, NIV translation in places like this, sinful nature. I think that translation serves to confuse us more than help us, it does clarify that Paul is using the, the Greek word sarx, flesh, right? It's the Greek word sarx. It's translated flesh. And it does clarify that Paul is using that word in a more kind of lifestyle or ethical sort of way rather than in a sort of anthropological or human sort of way, right? He's not talking about your physical flesh, right? That's not what he's talking about. He's using flesh differently than that to refer to some something beyond just our physicality, okay? Um, And the problem, however, with sinful nature as a translation is it makes it sound like it's my sinful nature, like it's something within me or some part of me, and that's something that I still possess after becoming a believer. But Paul doesn't say that here. Verse five, he says, when we were in the flesh. And that's not the only place Paul says that in this context. In Romans chapter eight, verse nine, Paul just comes out very straightforward and says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed God's spirit dwells in you. And so Paul doesn't believe that you're both in the flesh and in the spirit. Paul believes it's one or the other. And so verses like Romans 7.5 or Romans 8.9 need to inform how we understand the word, regardless of how we translate it. Paul teaches, Paul believes, if someone is in Christ and someone has the Spirit, then they aren't in the flesh. They aren't of the flesh. And so it's not as if you have two natures, flesh and spirit, that are at war within you. That Paul doesn't believe that. That doesn't mean there's not conflict, it doesn't mean there's not a struggle to be holy. Paul does believe that. Paul's emphatic that there's going to be, you know, putting to death the deeds of the body, that there's going to be, you know, not letting sin reign in your mortal bodies, he said in chapter 6. So Paul believes there's going to be some difficulty, some effort, some struggle that's involved in this. He just doesn't believe you have two natures at war within you. Paul can't think that because he says we aren't in the flesh anymore. And so the way we should think about it is sort of like pregnancy. You're either are or you aren't, right? Like you're either pregnant or you're not. Well, the same is true with flesh and the spirit. You either are or you aren't. There isn't any in between. You're either in the flesh or you're not. You're either in the spirit or you're not. There's no in-between. It's not both and. And so Paul teaches here in Romans 7 and 8 that a believer in Christ is no longer in the flesh. All right, then. What does Paul mean by flesh? We have to make sure we understand it. So let me summarize what Paul means by the flesh. And then let me set it into the context of New Testament theology a little bit. Okay. Um, By flesh... What Paul means is a fallen mode of doing life, a fallen mode of doing life, that um, it is really humanity in all its fallenness, humanity in its against God, living for self sort of way of doing life. It's humanity in Adam, not in Christ, right? And that's why the chip, the shift happens. Like you're Before becoming a Christian, you're in Adam. When you put your faith in Jesus, you move from being in Adam to being in Christ. And so that shift is a difference. Fallenness is humanity in Adam with all its weakness, brokenness, rebellion, and anti God way of doing life. But when you become a Christian, you move from being in Adam and thus in the flesh to in Christ and thus in the spirit. So flesh is fallen human way of doing life. Dallas Willard says, fallen human nature is a certain manner in which the good powers deposited at creation in our human flesh are twisted and organized against God. Or another scholar, Cornelius Plantinga, says it this way. He says, he describes the corruption that sin begets within us with the terms perversion, pollution, and deterioration. That flesh is simply in Adam humanity that is perverted, that is twisted so that things serve the wrong ends and goals, right? It's polluted so that it is now poisoned and thus it is deteriorating and breaking down. That's the flesh. This fallenness and this deterioration afflicts us individually so that I can be in the flesh, you can be in the flesh, right? It afflicts us individually, but it also afflicts humanity as a whole, corporately, it afflicts whole societies, so that whole societies have a fallenness about them, a bent away from God, and a darkness about them, right? So whole societies become polluted, corrupted, and are deteriorating. And thus, the word flesh really refers to our pre-Christ mode of our pre-Christ approach to living. And the world outside of Christ, current approach to life is of the flesh, right? That's why Doug Moo in one of his commentaries on Romans says that the word flesh for Paul almost has the same sense as the word world does in John's writings. It is the fallen world, fallen humanity, and the fallen way of doing life That's the flesh. And so the flesh is the former way of life that stands in opposition to God and isn't renewed by and empowered by God's Holy Spirit. That's the flesh. Now let me set that in the context of New Testament theology to help us understand what's going on in the world, going on in ourselves, going on in society, right? The New Testament writers had this idea of What you could call the overlap of the ages. And it was a shift from how, as Jews, they had thought prior to what happened in Jesus. Uh, The way the Jews thought about things was there was the present evil age, and someday Messiah would come. And when Messiah came, the present evil age would be done away with, and the age to come would begin, and all would be made new. Now, Jesus came as Messiah. It was obvious that he was the Messiah because he was risen from the dead. And then eventually the spirit was poured out. These are Messiah things, right? And yet the present evil age didn't go away. Um, But the spirit had come, new life was available, and God was already at work to make things new. And so the way the New Testament writers began to explain and express it was those two ages now overlap. The present evil age continues. And yet the age to come has already broken into the here and now so that the age to come and the present evil age overlap between Jesus' first coming and second coming. And so that's where we live. If you're going to locate us on a map of salvation history, the place we locate is the overlap of the ages. And somebody who is outside of Christ, well, they're still marked by, controlled by, and living in the present evil age but somebody who is in Christ has moved from the present evil age uh, to being a part of the kingdom of God's son, and thus they're already experiencing some of the benefits of and the blessings of the age to come, even though it's uh, kind of marred by still the, the struggles of the present evil age. And so you get the overlap. And so if you're in Christ, you're already experiencing some of the Blessings and benefits of the age to come. One of those blessings and benefits is the presence of God's Spirit now in and among you individually and us corporately so that we have a new capability to please God. Paul will explain that in detail in Romans chapter 8. He already hints at that here in Romans 7, 1 through 6 that we looked at in our last session where he says that we can now bear fruit for God because we serve in the newness of the Spirit. And so things have changed for us. We're experiencing that blessing, right? We already are experiencing the beginnings of eternal life, and that will go on forever and ever. But we do all that, we experience those blessings uh, in the reality that the present evil age still continues. And so the reason we feel a tension in our walk of faith and our obedience to Jesus is not because we have two natures warring within ourselves. You're either in Christ and of the spirit or you're in Adam and of the flesh, right? So it's not because we have two warring natures in ourselves. It's because there's two modes of doing life overlapping in this world at the, the present time, the present evil age and the age to come. And those two modes of living, those two uh, those two ages, they're they at odds with each other. And they have two different sets of values and two sets of different agendas and goals and approaches to life. And if you're in Christ, you're of the age to come, but you still live in the world where the present evil age is all around you. And it's that. That that leads to the tension we experience in obeying God. It's that reality that leads for for Paul to say in Romans chapter six. So you can't let sin reign in your mortal bodies, right? In Romans chapter six, it says you're dead to sin, but sin isn't dead. So you've experienced this benefit of the age to come. You have the your the power of sin has been broken in your life, but sin is still alive and well on planet Earth, and hence the struggle, right? And so we experience this tension because of the overlap of the ages. But what Paul believes is this tension isn't all-consuming. This tension isn't all-powerful. Why? Because God in his grace has come to live with us by his Spirit. And so he has given us a new capacity to do what's right and a new capacity to please him. And thus, we now can bear fruit for God. And so uh, we are no longer in the flesh, we are of the spirit, and we can please God in a, a way we couldn't before we entered into Christ. Gordon Fee, in his massive book on the spirit in Paul's writings, God's empowering presence, Gordon Fee says this. He says this passage, meaning Romans 7, 1 through 6. This passage, as well as the further explanation in Romans 8, 1 through 17, not to mention what Paul says in Galatians 5, 13 through 24, makes it certain that for Paul, believers are not in the flesh in the sense of living in keeping with the values and from the perspective of the former age, which is now passing away. That's not what defines us. Do sometimes we struggle with it? Yes. Do sometimes we stumble into that? Yes. Do some, is Sometimes there's a tension with putting off the things of the flesh? Yes. But we're not in the flesh in the sense of that's what's going to define our life. That's what's going to mark our life. And that we're bound to it and have no hope to overcome it because God's Spirit has come to live with us. And so one of the main points Paul makes here in Romans 7 is that the Torah didn't work, not because the Torah was bad. He's going to go on and say the Torah is very, very good. The Torah Torah didn't work. The Old Testament law didn't work because it couldn't free us from the flesh. The Torah was giving wise and good instructions to merely in-flesh people And thus it failed to set them free from that. And that's how the law became complicit with sin and death. It couldn't make us other than somebody in Adam and thus fallen and corrupt. It couldn't impart new life, new creation life, the life of the spirit, right? It didn't impart that. And thus the law was incapable of making us the kind of people who regularly and routinely do the things it commanded. And that's what Paul is going to explain in Romans chapter 7, and that's what he's going to then show us the solution is, in Romans chapter 8, it's walking by the Spirit. And so, if you are in Christ, you are not a flesh person, you're a spirit person, and thus you can progressively and increasingly please God. You're not a slave to sin, as Paul explains in Romans chapter 6, because the Spirit has come. And it has set you free from the law of sin and death, and thus you can begin to please God in a new and powerful sort of way.